following message is presented by Fellowship Bible Church from its weekly pulpit ministry. We offer an expositional study through entire books of the Bible, one verse, paragraph, or chapter at a time. We pray that you'll be blessed by listening in. Thanks for visiting. Good morning. We'll try that again. Thank you for joining us this morning. We have an extremely small crowd here this morning. In fact, I think that may be why my microphone sounds so loud. Maybe we could turn that down just a hair. But uh, thank you, Jansen, for helping out with the computer, and John, and Dwayne as well. All right, this morning I uh, titled my message, Guidance About the COVID-19 Vaccine. Guidance About the COVID-19 Vaccine. I just want to look at some biblical principles, and uh, I'm not sure how long this uh, is going to go. Uh, it may, I may uh, spill over into this evening if uh, we don't have time this morning to finish everything. Um, and, uh, of course, with, no, uh, with not a huge audience, I, I don't have any sense of uh, people uh, having questions or uh, needing additional uh, kind of feedback on things. So we'll have to uh, kind of do that in uh, offline fashion. Um, we're grateful that, to the best of our knowledge, uh, coronavirus has not been shared around the church uh, at all or very much, if at all. Although several of our people have had it, uh, we've had several families with it and two presently. So um, that is uh, and actually about on, on par with the general society as far as percentages go. God, however, has placed us in the state of Michigan where we don't have a very good situation right now with almost uh, more cases than anywhere else in the United States, and so we're dealing with that. In fact, I, I did a little uh, kind of math experiment yesterday I said to myself, you know, I wonder why it is that we have so many more cases right now. And I'm sure that you all probably have some ideas and explanations for that or have heard. I have not heard a lot of what I feel like great explanation, but that just may be because I haven't heard it. I haven't, you know, gone around hunting deeply for it. But I was thinking that one possible explanation is that because we had fairly harsh uh, lockdowns, that the number of cases that Michigan has experienced is lower than other places. And that is indeed the case. If you take a look at Michigan's data, we've had about 812,000 cases, uh, 17,400 and some deaths, sadly, in our state. But if you look at that case count, 812,000, out of just about 10 million population, that is uh, somewhere around 8% more or less. Uh, who have been afflicted with the disease. But I took a look at our nearest neighbor, Ohio, and they're at 8.9%, almost a percent higher. And then I looked at Texas, Florida, and New York. Each of those states is at 9.9 or 9.8 or 9.7%, so a percentage and a half higher. And so the math experiment that I did was to say, okay, if Michigan is to catch up to the average of other states around us, now that we're opened more, we are going to have to catch up by catching 76 to 156,000 more cases. Check my math on that sometime, all you engineers out there, uh, to see what you think. But just to get us caught up to what the normal kind of average is in other states, we have a little ways to go, unfortunately. So what's happened is we've stretched out, we've stretched out the pain, as it were, by 
harsher lockdowns towards the beginning. Of course, some of these states also had. New York did for sure, not so much Ohio, Texas, and Florida. But uh, there's nothing special about the constitution of the human race in Michigan that's going to make us 1% to 2% less vulnerable to the disease, I don't think. So we're in a bit of a challenging situation with some catch-up maybe uh, necessary in that kind of bad statistic. I uh, wish it weren't the case. But there is a newer issue for many of us, and that is that the state has recently opened up vaccinations for those 16 years and older. As you know, the vaccine has been out for a long while, many weeks, uh, several months now for those of older age groups, but now for 16 and up. And I suspect that most people in our church uh, are going to take the vaccine. I don't know that for sure, but it's just a, a suspicion that I think I have, and uh, at least the majority. Some have already gotten it, but I have received a lot of questions about it, and I wanted to deal with those this morning because I thought maybe some of you would like to have the pastor's uh, thoughts on the matter. So I'm going to talk about that this morning. Let me just mention before I get into any scripture and uh, theological ideas, the vaccine, when I say that, is actually three different vaccines in the United States. You're all familiar with those, I'm sure, the Pfizer uh, slash BioNTech vaccine and the Moderna vaccine are two, they use mRNA technology that you might have heard of. It's interesting because it is a technology that teaches the body how to recognize a virus by a, a signature without actually implanting a weakened form of the virus into you. Um, is actually teaching the body, it's more complicated, teaching the body to produce that protein and then recognize it and uh, develop antibodies for it. So ill feelings may follow the vaccine, but they're not going to be ill feelings from the disease itself. That's impossible with those style of vaccinations. And then the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is the third one in the U.S. It's a more traditional design, delivers the payload, as it were, through a disabled adenovirus. It conveys uh, instructions to the body's immune system that way. Uh, and it's a one-shot and a vi uh, vaccination and easier to handle because it doesn't require the super cold storage. So we have those two. There are others in the other parts of the world. AstraZeneca has one. Uh, Janssen Pharma also in Europe. There's another one called CureVac, and Sanofi GSK has one. Uh, and there's, uh, I'm sure there's others. I've heard of the China vaccine called Sinovac that has uh, been used in other countries as well. But those are not really relevant to us. So uh, let me talk about deciding whether to take the vaccine, and I've, I've put down this in a number of um, matters or issues to think about. So the first of these, the first of these, number one, is taking the vaccine is a matter of conscience. You might want to jot this down or look at the notes if you have those notes. I've tried to boldface those uh, the various issues, and I think I have eight or ten of them here. It's a matter of conscience, like the mask issue. However, the church will, uh, because of the fact that it's a matter of conscience, the church will not be mandating either position. Uh, and I use Romans 14.5 in my deliberation on that issue. What does Romans 14.5 say? Well, we're going to go and read it right out of the book here, Romans 14.5. Uh, in the matter of different religious days or observances of days, the Apostle Paul says, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Each be fully convinced in his own mind. And I, I think that's a very helpful principle. I, I 
taught on that principle a year ago when it came to this whole matter of masks and everything else. And so I understand this to teach that each person has to be fully convinced themselves in their own mind, and I am not in your mind. It's not necessary for us as a church leadership to wade into the the matter at that level of specificity, information, and parameters to make the decision about a vaccination reside with the individual, not with us or with any external authority. To give concrete examples for us here, I'm not planning to require a vaccination for anyone working with children or being in the nursery or ministering in vacation Bible school. We have never required or checked vaccinations before, either on students or on parents or workers. Um, It's not really our business. In fact, I'm not really convinced without doing further research that we as a church could require that, given the HIPAA privacy laws about medical issues that are uh, in place today. I don't know that. That's not my area of expertise, and I'm not going to try to become an expert in that area. We minister to all, regardless of vaccination uh, or not. We do require you, however, to be well, and if symptomatic or generally ex- or genuinely exposed to a disease, to be prudent to stay away until you're sure that you're not a threat uh, to others and are not sick and cannot pass it uh, to other people in the church. And we do this because of the principle, another principle in the Bible, and that is love one for another. We exercise that love, not a legalistic requirement, Uh, which has all kinds of pitfalls if you try to get into legalistic requirements. What we want to do is exercise love toward one another, and that will kind of guide us in all the different areas of our interaction with one another in the church so that we don't, you know, do things that may be harmful uh, or hurtful to other people. And that brings me to the second matter to consider in receiving the vaccine, and that is the matter of others. Okay, so we have the matter of conscience. Secondly, we have the matter of others. I have other considerations uh, besides myself, and you have other considerations beside yourself as well. There are, for me, missions, work, travel, because of that, hospital visitation, uh, the comfort of older members in the church, etc. It's not just about me, it's about others, and that's this principle, the matter of others. If you look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 4, you'll notice this principle, which helps us in this matter. Paul says in Philippians 2, 4, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Esteem others better than yourself. I'm taught to serve others, to look out for others. I'm I am obligated to consider what my choice does not only to myself, but also what it does to my wife, my children, church members, extended family, society, and so forth. So it's a matter of conscience, and it's a matter of others. Thirdly, the decision to take the vaccine also touches on the matter of submission to governing authorities. Submission to the government is taught to us in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 13, where it says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Uh, the principle of submission to government does enter into our equation here. Obviously, we have to be wise about submission, 
We're not just blindly obeying or following unlawful or sinful orders. But all else being equal, if the government were to require you to take a vaccine and you did not fit into one of the exemption categories, let's suppose there's a religious exemption and there's a a health exemption, uh, perhaps then if you don't fit into one of those exemptions, then you should rightly take the vaccine. Okay. Now, it may be that you're only required to do so if you're in certain jobs or traveling overseas or across state lines or whatever. Um, I can illustrate that myself with traveling for Christian ministry since uh, I've had to go to places overseas some of those countries require you to have a vaccine for typhoid or for malaria or for whatever diseases that uh, they may have, uh, you know, endemic in their country. And you can't say, well, I just, I'm not going to do that. Well, you can, but then when you go to that country, you'll find out what they'll do to you as far as, uh, you know, quarantine or, or kick you out and send you back. So, you have to uh, take that into consideration. But since travel and, and specific jobs that may require it are optional to our lives, you know, you'd either have to take the vaccine or forego the travel or specific job and, uh, and, and change your, your course of uh, conduct. Outside of those kinds of cases, uh, however, it's my understanding that there right now is not such a requirement from the government, so we don't really have to worry about it. Okay, so and people saying, well, if they tell me to take the vaccine, I'm just not going to do it. Well, um, be careful what you say. You want to be in coordination with the scriptures on the matter of submission to government. And you want to make sure that there are proper exemptions. And of course, you know, safety and all the rest of it is, all these are factors that come into this matter. Now, also, the government does, at the direction of scientists, desire that we reach at least 70% vaccination for herd immunity. I believe that's sensible, although I would say that you should take the number of vaccinated people plus the number of people who have had the disease, vaccinated or not, doesn't matter to me, and scientifically, I don't see how it really is a huge deal or a huge difference maker when they have natural immunity versus artificial immunity from a vaccination. But you take those two numbers, add them up, if you get 70%, then you should be pretty good. That does leave 30%, though, that are are potentially exposed. Um, So when when that reaches herd immunity levels, you know, be happy. But uh, my approach personally is on this. I'm, I'm not particularly fond of getting vaccinations. But if it seems fairly safe and would help the wider populace, then I certainly would have it high on my list to get done. Okay, So it's a matter of submission to governments, a matter of others. It's a matter of conscience. But also it's a matter of wisdom, especially in the timing, matter of wisdom. The Bible is concerned much about wisdom. Proverbs 1-2 talks about the fear of the Lord being the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, we get wisdom from the mouth of God, Proverbs 2, 6. Out of his mouth comes knowledge and wisdom. And uh, what, what is wisdom, by the way? Wisdom is the skillful application of God's word to daily life. Does the Bible talk about vaccinations? No. <laughs> they didn't come along down the pike until many centuries after the scripture was completed. It wasn't an issue. You just had to deal with the pandemic 
with the plague, with the pestilence as it came along, with uh, the, the level of education that you had, which may not have been much, the level of understanding without a germ theory of disease, uh, I just can't imagine it would be pretty tough to, to uh, handle these sorts of matters. But wisdom, we can apply biblical wisdom using some of these verses that we're looking at this morning as we think about this issue. Is it wise for me to take the vaccine? Well, let me say, depends on your situation. If you're pregnant, should you take it? I would not recommend it, not until after you're done with your pregnancy anyway, uh, because if you're pregnant, that means you're young and probably quite physically fit, hopefully, and so you're at low risk. You can patiently wait until after the pregnancy is over to eliminate any potential for birth defects, things that have happened in history and other, with other vaccinations. Um, also, if you're young and strong and there are many other people older and at more risk than you, then let them get ahead of you in line. If you have had dangerous allergic reactions to similar vaccines in the past, then obviously it's unwise for you to take it. So you have to factor in the matter of wisdom in your calculation. Number five, it is a matter of patience. A matter of patience. Some people are simply desperate to get the vaccination. I would counsel you, frankly, take it easy. Just take it easy. Relax. Everything's going to be all right, okay? Uh, it's a matter of patience. Remember, God protects you, not a vaccine. I mean, you, if you get a vaccine, you could still die, right? In fact, everybody who gets the COVID vaccination is going to die. Someday. Someday. Maybe two weeks after they get the vaccination. Maybe two days, two hours, 20 years. Okay, So the vaccine doesn't protect you. God protects you. Remember, we referenced to Psalm 91. Psalm 91 and verses 5 and 6. The scripture says, You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. When God is protecting you, then there is nothing that can get you, so to speak. So, you know, if you haven't gotten the vaccine, God has uh, preserved you for one year right? Actually, over one year, about a year and a month now. And in fact, if you count from the very beginning back and say December, it's over, it's a year and a half practically that God has preserved you for this pandemic. He can sustain you a few weeks longer or a few months longer until the vaccine supply trickles down to you or you can find an appointment or whatever. Obviously, I'm dealing with this matter of patience from the perspective of somebody who is desperate to get the vaccine. Some of you are desperate not to get the vaccine. We're dealing with those you know, thoughts as well. But there's no need to be panicked. Trust in the Lord. You will not be going anywhere until the Lord says so. You agree with me? Yeah. You will not be going anywhere until the Lord says so. And when he says so, no vaccination is going to forestall his plan. Okay? Science does not save this is the, one of the most vexing things to me in this whole thing. Everybody's like science, you know. 
hold up the scientists and the scientific method and, and the, the political science too, by the way, is up there. Uh, it's, it's all up there, you know. But where's God? God's nowhere to be found in many people's thoughts. Number six, number six, it is a matter that relates to abortion. Yes, that's true. An aborted fetus cell line is used in the testing and development of many vaccines. You've probably had a vaccine in your life that was touched by such aborted fetus cell lines. Now, you, you may not have known of it, and ignorance is not good, but I believe at this point, particularly if only used in testing, taking the vaccine does not implicate you in the abortion of a child. Now, I'm personally not comfortable with the J&J &J vaccine for this reason, because as I understand it, it was uh, involved in it was the production, was the use of the cell line of an aborted fetus in the production of it, not just the testing. But I'm no expert on that issue. Theologically, however, there's no way that I could say that you're in sin if you take this particular vaccine, because it is so many steps removed from the 1972 fetus that produced these, gave these cells to the cell lines that are used, it's used for the vaccination process. The baby is gone and cannot come back. The cells cultured from him or her have helped many people in their lives to be saved with various vaccinations. But it is an issue that touches on the matter of abortion, and it would be, it would do well for our authorities to make sure that they understand that very well and the implications of it. Number seven, it's a matter, deciding to take the vaccine, is a matter of trade-offs, a matter of trade-offs. In a sin-cursed world, nothing is perfect, is it? Any vaccine has risk. If we do an overall statistical analysis, and yes, we just reduce people to numbers, a vaccine may have side effects that kill a few hundred people. But on balance, it's supposed to save many thousands of people's lives. So consider, for example, our present situation. We have in the United States had 31 million COVID cases. Okay? It's a little more for you math nuts out there, all right? Uh, 560,000 deaths. Okay, so that means that 1.8% of people who have gotten COVID have perished, known to have gotten it, okay? Assuming the testing is all, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that another time, but those are the numbers cited. There are 66 million people who are fully vaccinated, okay? So 66 million versus 31 million. And there are over 112 million now who are partially vaccinated. But I won't use that 112. I'm going to use the lower number to make the math more conservative, okay? 66 million fully vaccinated. I count, not I count, but I looked. And on the notes on the website, you'll see on the, on the bottom, there's a little uh, justification for these numbers. Uh, the the, the uh, footnote is kind of at the bottom of page 8. Uh, using the... Uh, National Vaccine Adverse Reaction Database that's provided by the government. Uh, I followed the, the technique in a Newsweek article, but just updated it for yesterday instead of for a month ago when that article was written. 
There are 862 deaths connected to the Pfizer vaccine and 992 connected to the Moderna vaccine. As of yesterday the, or the Friday the 9th, undoubtedly some of these deaths had other complications. Okay, let me ex explain what I mean by that. So somebody that's 85 years old got their second shot, but they've already had heart failure, they've already had kidney failure, they already have other problems, and two weeks later they're gone. Is that the, fa is that the fault of the vaccine? Maybe, maybe not. So those numbers don't count those different, you know, inputs to the, to the equation, as it were. So we're under 2,000 deaths from 66 million fully vaccinated people. Okay, so if you do that math, it's much better than the 1.8% that I cited earlier of people who get COVID who have died. Those who get the vaccination and die is 0.0028%. That's 642 times less deadly than the disease itself. That's approaching three orders of magnitude safer to get the vaccine than to get the disease. And if over the course of the next few years, several thousand are lost due to vaccine accidents, I'll call them, but several hundred thousand are saved from a premature death, that seems like a statistically good trade-off. Of course, it would be great if you could only had to vaccinate those people who you knew were going to get the disease in the future. But since we have no such prediction machine, the vaccine has to be given to more people than might actually ever get the disease in the future. The expectation is, however, that the virus will touch a large percentage of the population, right? It has already been caught by about 10% of the nation, and it will move on from there. So the above comparison here that we've done is why vaccines are beneficial. On balance, they save lives. If you're, however, one of the few unlucky vaccine recipients and get an adverse reaction, that is bad for you. You might be in the 0.0028% that get an adverse reaction, but for you, it's 100%. It's very, it's very unhappy. But if the vaccination saves 500,000 lives over the next year, scientists consider it worthwhile on balance. I'm thankful, for example, to the Lord that we do not have polio, smallpox, diphtheria, and other diseases because of the same work that scientists have done in vaccination. Number eight, there's a question about this. Is it a matter of moral obligation? Some say that it is a moral obligation to take the vaccine, like it's a moral obligation to wear masks. Morality is defined by the health of society. Morality is defined, as, as some have said, uh, by the doctrine of safeism. Safeism. Or others have suggested, and I think rightly so, that there is this unrealistic goal called zeroism. We want to get down to zero cases. Do you really think that that's possible? Do you think that's feasible now? It's not, it's not possible, okay? It really is not possible. It's going to become part of the cycling flu seasonal uh, sickness 
that we experience throughout the world. It'll just be another one of those kind of flu bugs, dangerous as it is, but it's going to be that, I believe. Well, anyway, so safism and zeroism and healthism uh, are the driving factors of this morality. Anyone then who doesn't wear a mask or take the vaccine gets blamed for the death of others, even those that cannot be proven to be connected with them. I believe this kind of thing is an overstatement made by some zealous left-wingers who have their morality informed by their own intellect instead of by God's word. Let me demonstrate that for us as Christians. Some people say it's a moral obligation not to go to church because if you do, you're endangering people and will spread the virus and they will die. But that morality, quote-unquote, cannot be true morality because God commands the church to gather for worship regularly, whether uh, we might die or not. Gathering as a church is a moral obligation. COVID isolation, therefore, is not a moral obligation. Being prudent is a moral obligation, but being perfect in preventing the spread of a virus is impossible. So being vaccinated can be a help to us and it can be a help to others, but it's not a moral obligation for someone to violate their conscience or take the vaccine if it's potentially harmful in a particular case. What do you tell somebody that has issues with vaccine allergies? Is it a moral obligation for them to take it despite those allergies? Obviously not. Number nine. Number nine, it's a matter, deciding whether to take the vaccine is a matter of humility and impartiality. You know, some will say, you're crazy if you don't get the vaccine. Others, you're crazy if you do get the vaccine. So what do you do? Where do I start? To go back to the beginning, each of us must be convinced in our own minds. Now, it appears that a majority of people will soon be vaccinated. Unhappily, however, it is... Not clear how long the vaccination will have a beneficial or protective effect. Is it six months? Is it a year? Is it for life? Of course, medical community is going to lowball that estimate because they have to protect themselves from lawsuits. So if it may protect for two years, they're going to say six months. But who knows what it is? I have no idea now based on things I've seen. But thankfully, as long as it does last, and if you're vaccinated and encounter somebody who is not, the vaccine still provides you protection and help. But it provides no guarantee. Humbly recognizing that will help us to interact with people without partiality as to vaccine status. Okay, are you going to say to those people that are vaccinated and have their vaccination card, welcome, come on in and have the best seat in the church. But all of you that aren't vaccinated, we're going to let you sit in the back. Okay? Does that ring a bell with any of you about a Bible passage? (laughs) James chapter 2, about partiality and, and humility. You know, don't go around saying, you're crazy if you do and you're crazy if you don't. Let's be a little more humble about it. Now, how about dealing with some conspiracy theories? I have a number of these as well and limited time to go through them. So let's see what happens. Dealing with conspiracy theories. Number one, and I put all these in the form of kind of a quotation that might be heard from the lips of one who believes in these theories, and then I respond. Quote, these vaccines are experimental. 
testing, I would say, of these vaccines has been extensive, if not complete. I understand they're under emergency use authorization and all of that. But at this point, to suggest that we are just a bunch of guinea pigs in the largest human vaccination trial in history is a bit of hyperbole. The objection is that, you know, the vaccine was quickly developed, and so it could likely be unsafe. True. True. Anything can be unsafe, either in the big picture or in your individual case. We cannot eliminate risk. Remember I said that a year ago? We cannot eliminate risk. But if you consider the advancements in medical technology and computation, etc., you should expect that vaccine development should be faster than it was 100 years ago. Would you agree? We shouldn't you know, think that, well, it took 10 years, 50 years ago to get a vaccine, so it's going to take 10 years now when we have you know, computational modeling and we have all kinds of advanced techniques and more smarts about these matters. We shouldn't expect that it's going to take as long. Another conspiracy idea. I will never take the COVID vaccination for various reasons. It's just a statement that has come to my attention. I'll never take it. But let me give you a litmus test, a litmus test to test the logic of that statement. Take a statement that you're thinking or saying about COVID, the COVID vaccine, and change the word COVID to another disease like smallpox, polio, measles, diphtheria, pertussis, rabies, etc. Could you make the exact same statement about that vaccine as you would about COVID? For example, I will never take the COVID vaccine parallel. I would never take the rabies vaccine for whatever reason. You know, it's not well enough studied or there's mercury in there or it causes autism or or some, whatever it is that causes you to say that, would you be able to say that? I would recommend that you not make a rash oath that you will regret later. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And a number of other passages deal with this kind of idea as well, but I selected Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and it says in verse number 2, Do not be rash with your mouth. And let not your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Let your words be few. I guess one of the benefits of that is it saves you from eating crow later. And crow doesn't taste too good, does it? Yeah, be careful about that. Just listen and learn and wait and be patient. Maybe... You do not need the vaccine now, or maybe you've already had the disease and have natural as opposed to artificial immunity. But you say, I'll never take the COVID vaccination. What happens when you're 80 years old and you need the COVID vaccination and you change your mind? Will you take it then? Well, they would have it better tested by then, you say. Okay, maybe true. It's pretty well tested now as far as, as much as it can be, given the amount of time that has passed. I, you know, I won't be test. I won't take COVID vaccine until it's been tested for five years. Parallel statement: I won't take the annual flu vaccine until it's been tested for five years. Is that how you operate? Maybe you do. Maybe you say I never take the flu vaccine. There are other people who wouldn't be caught dead without it because they've had such an awful experience with the flu and pneumonia that they want to protect themselves against it. So if you're not able to say with confidence 
you know, kind of replace that COVID with another vaccine and, and you kind of see the, the illogic of it, you know, use that as a litmus test. Um, by the way, I suspect that the COVID vaccine is going to become part of the annual flu vaccination going down the line. Maybe they give you a second shot or something like that, or it's in the same shot that they give you that has several variations in it. Uh, so if you're not going to take the annual flu vaccine or the COVID vaccine, maybe you're not going to take the annual flu vaccine either. Uh, number three, objection. They are using our people group to test this vaccine. I would just encourage you to use objective facts about that. This is what the Bible means when it says to speak the truth to one another. To overcome this kind of conspiracy theory, simply ask yourself, is it objectively true that they are using only one people group to test the vaccine? You know, are they only using residents of Detroit to test the vaccine? Absolutely not. I don't think they're, I don't think they're testing in the first place. I think they've tested already. But uh, obviously, the vaccines are be giving, given to Asians and blacks and whites and everybody equally. Obviously, it's, it's not, you know, it's, it's just being given to everybody that they can get their needles into. That's all, you know. Number four, conspiracy. Bill Gates is using this to kill us all. Now, it may well be true that Bill Gates wants to reduce the human population because of some perceived threat to the environment. But I would say a couple of things. All, it's, it's very interesting. The advocates of population reduction never want to be at the front of the line for that. They always want somebody else to be reduced. But actually, I don't think they want you know, living people to be reduced. I think they're trying to, to reduce the growth of the population and, and, and the birthing of new babies. But obviously, the Earth can sustain a population well over 7 billion people. You know how I know that? Because it is right now. We are all alive. And there are some areas that are not good, but it's presently doing so. And, and we most certainly have surpassed some of the early doom and gloom estimates of population numbers that, you know, they used to say, oh, when it's five billion, we're going to die, you know, and stuff like that. It's not even close. But just because someone believes in population control does not mean they want to kill the living. In fact, vaccination is meant to increase the lifespan of the living. Maybe they just want to reduce the growth or the total numbers in the future. I think that's where abortion comes from, birth control comes from, uh, euthanasia comes from, that same kind of philosophy. Population control in birth control and abortion and education, they use those as key planks in their platform. It's a real doctrine, but it's a false and evil doctrine. God told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. Now, you may question whether that applies to every individual today, as if, you know, you're in sin if you don't have 10 kids. Or maybe you don't, you know, you don't have a strong enough faith to have 10 children or something. But I believe societally or corporately, we still are under a measure of that obligation. To go against this is to do no better than what was done by the pre-babblers in Genesis chapter 11, they gathered to build a tower instead of scattering to fill the earth with the human race. And so God scattered them himself. Fifth statement or objection or conspiracy objection, 
quote, the vaccine is actually how they are implanting chips in all of us. Don't be ridiculous. I'm moving on. Number six, the COVID vaccination will change your DNA. My response, check your facts. Do some basic research. The mRNA vaccines do not do that. Regular old-style vaccines do not do that either. So you're going to respond, well, what Bible verse told you that? Well, I didn't say a Bible verse told me. I said, do your research scientifically. But the Bible verse that tells me that is Proverbs 18.13. If I answer a matter before I hear it, it's a folly and a shame to me. So spouting off that the vaccine is going to change your DNA and you haven't read a single paper that proves that, then you've been a fool. And we don't want to be that as Christians. Be careful what you authoritatively spout off. If you don't know what you're talking about, don't talk. Listen to the facts first. <clears throat> Learn some immunology and microbiology and the rest of it so that you know a little bit about what you're talking about. Number seven, the COVID vaccine contains luciferase. It is the mark of the beast, some say. Again, check your facts. Such a luminescent material, and that's what luciferase is, a luminescent material, is not in the vaccine. The, the, the root lucifer from Latin to bring light or give light. You know how a, a, night, a, a bug at night flashes its light? You know, That's the kind of thing we're talking about. Does the vaccine have that in it? No. And that kind of substance is not satanic. Okay? It's a real thing, this luciferase, but it's not in COVID-19 vaccines, one source has. And despite the potentially alarming hellish connotations of its name, has less to do with Satan than with, than with bioluminescent clams. It's the name for a naturally occurring enzyme in which, which glows when they oxidize, which are found in various animals, including fireflies and glowworms. They were named as such by a French scientist, Raphael Dubois, at the end of the 19th century, who extracted the enzyme from clams. They were named this presumably because Lucifer literally means light bringing in Latin and refers to the morning star Venus. But all that's irrelevant because it's not in the COVID-19 vaccines. You know, they really are not lighting you up with the vaccine, okay? Number eight, vaccine companies are in it for the money. Yeah, everyone in every business is in it for the money, aren't they? Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to, to survive. Logically speaking, however, do you believe that scientists at the pharmaceutical companies are trying to hurt other people? Are they trying to kill us all? They're trying to kill all their customers? Is that logical? Is everyone in these companies in a super secret plan and there's no whistleblowers that would expose that they're trying to poison us to death? It just doesn't make sense. You know, unbelievers want to live too. They don't want to die. And the Bible tells us that. They have a fear of death and so they're doing things that will try to extend their lives. Number nine, COVID is not real, some say. It's a hoax. I don't believe that for a second. Now, this type of thinking that it's a hoax comes from reports of inflated numbers and all the hype from panicked people in the media and 
all the overreaction of certain authorities. And I'm convinced that there is overreaction. Some of that is, you know, the, the hyperinflation of numbers and so on may in fact be true. And the real relevant numbers may not be as bad as those that are cited all the time. But even if the real numbers are half of what they are stated to be, there's still a whole lot of people who have died from the virus. And as Christians, that's not happy for us. We are pro-life people. Pandemics do exist. Just because you did not experience one before in your life means nothing. The last major one was 100 years ago, and it killed as many or more as what we're experiencing now. It was real then, and it's real now. The reaction of people may be unrealistic, but the virus is real. Number 10, conspiracy. When you get the virus, they inject aborted baby cells into you. I've touched on this already, but that's simply false. Don't repeat that debunked statement, please. Number 11, if I get vaccinated, I may not be able to have children. Again, this does not seem to be borne out by the evidence. Is it possible that that's true? Yes. Is it likely that it's true? I don't think so. Possible, perhaps. Number 12, I cannot trust the government. Good. Some trust in horses and chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. You should not place your trust in the government because it's a group of sinful people who have power. It's bad enough that it's a group of sinful people. What makes it far worse is that they have power. Our trust has to be squarely in the Lord. We see the evidence of government corruption and incompetence around us all the time. But there are things that the government does do well. It's probably on a very short list of things, but there are some. And note, the government did not produce the vaccine. So you say, I can't trust the government. The government didn't produce the vaccine, now did it? Big corporations did produce the vaccine. So somebody says, hey, I don't trust big corporations. That's good too. But let me ask you this question. Would you rather take the vaccine from one of these big pharmaceutical corporations or the one that's developed out of some guy's garage? Something on this scale has to be done by a big organization. So we have to evaluate our situation realistically, calmly, in an educated manner. We just cannot go on our emotions. So I think as I conclude that you've seen in what I said that I'm not against the COVID vaccine or vaccines in general. I have taken many vaccines myself. Uh, other vaccines I have not taken, you know, for example, with diseases that are not an issue for me or say I'm not traveling to Africa so I don't have to take every vaccine for an African uh, you know, disease. Uh, but I have not said exactly how or when or if I plan to be vaccinated for COVID. That's not my point today. The point today is to give you some food for thought and perhaps correct some irrational and fleshly thinking about the whole matter. It is to prevent you from saying rash things that you'll have to take back later or uninformed things that are foolish or false. COVID may not be as bad as some of the numbers say, but it is real. A vaccine is one important tool in dealing with the problem. But you have to decide with all of these factors in mind whether you're able to take it or whether you should and when and so forth. I would expect as the vaccine rollout continues that we will continue to see a decline in serious cases among the elderly and 
see a rise in cases among the young who do not have yet the vaccine, the pandemic simply has to run its course. Obviously, we cannot stop it. We cannot stop it. We may slow it down temporarily, but it will only come back to bite us later by making up for lost time. That's just the nature of highly transmissible viruses. And so we conclude our thoughts on that. I hope it's helpful for you to get a pastor's perspective on this vaccine business now that it's available to many of us and uh, encourage you to consider these matters carefully. Let me have a prayer as we close. Heavenly Father, please help us as we consider the application of some scriptural principles to this matter of the COVID vaccination. Lord, may we choose wisely each one in our particular circumstances. May we carefully research, consider, think through these things, ask for advice, And Lord, too, for those that are convinced that they need it, I pray that you'll give them a sense of patience and calm and not uh, feeling like their life is going to be lost if they don't get the vaccine at a certain time. Help us all to trust you with our lives. We've trusted you for our eternities. We trust you in our lives because you are God and we are your creation. We've become convinced that we are sinners in need of divine grace. And Lord, because of that, we can confidently trust you in all the matters of life, not just eternity or some far-off theoretical things, but all the things of reality that affect us. So help us, we pray, in the name of Christ, with thanksgiving. Amen.